The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our online listeners. This is a very, very exciting message that we have for you today. Even though on the ad, you're going to notice that it is a Christmas message. But actually, this is a message that is exciting to listen to and to study all year round. So the numeric coding of the Christ child is exactly what the title says. Is We're going to very quickly run through some of the numeric the numbers that are significant for the Christ child. Now here's this baby laying in the manger who has no clue yet that he is literally fulfilled all the numbers of the Old Testament, all the generational numbers. All the coding numbers that are hidden in some of these significant numbers like 3, 6, 5, 10, 42, 40. These are significant numbers and they have things assigned to them. Knowledge of the holy assigned to these numbers. Why don't you hear this preached about very often? It's because of the amount of work that it takes to get into the Hebrew, understand the Hebrew, and then the numeric numbers associated with the Hebrew. It is a lost language. So all we hear about today is the superficial elements of this precious little child laying in the manger. And we all celebrate, well, kind of, celebrate the birth of this child. When your neighbor hates him. Do you understand that? Your neighbor hates Jesus Christ. Your neighbor crucified Jesus Christ. But they could tolerate a little baby once a year. But the world still hates this man. And despises this man. And if they could crucify him again and not let him have eternal life afterwards, they would do it today. He is hated. He is despised. And there's coming a time very, very soon when the entire world will go public with what I just said to you. But the average person today doesn't even want to hear the true message of the Christ child. Because there's this thing that he says right before he leaves. That you will suffer as I have suffered. And then some. You will suffer for my namesake. Well, we don't want to hear that stuff. So we leave Jesus, this cute little baby, in the manger. So let's talk about some of those numbers. Now I'm going to start you with six. There's a lot of numbers, so I'm just bringing out the basics that you've kind of heard a lot about. For example, three. Someone mentioned just a few of the 
powerful truths that are associated with three. Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three wise men. Each had their own specialty. Three gifts. Three days. Three years. Three years. Body, soul, spirit. All these statements, and there are many, many, many of them associated with the number three. All these, these powerful, powerful truths that are associated with the number three, for example, will literally unfold your connection of Christ being in you. Body, soul, spirit. The old man dying and being crucified and you receiving the very life of Christ. If you're a dichotomist, believing that the body and soul are the only thing that exists, you're missing out. Because you're not even understanding the numeric coding of the Christ child. It goes on and on and on just with the number three. How many primary elements are there to, the, to a molecule? Three. Three. You can keep breaking this thing down. The more smarter mankind gets at being able to zoom in on things, you're going to find something rather fascinating. It boils down to three elements. Earth, wind, and fire. They just go on and on. Same thing with the number six. Some of the basic, basics we have with the number six, as you remember probably, the mark of the beast is what? 666. Six, six, six. That's out of the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 18. And we, we have the tendency, you can Google the number 666 if you can tolerate the images. You will see all these horrible, gory-looking Images that are associated with 666 because of the devil. It isn't even his number. It's the number for who? It's the number for man. And the reason why 666 is the number for man is because it is one number short of 777. Which is the perfect number by three of the living God. God gave man the number 666. All the trinity of his identity mounts to six. And he's never going to get to seven unless he receives the seven into his mortal being. And if that doesn't mess with your cookies, then you need to have a cup of coffee and wake up that brain because I'm telling you, this is mind-bending. We have given things to Satan that do not belong to him. And the numeric coding of six Six, six is one of them that we've given to Satan. 
So Bible numbers of six go from, from the uh, unleavened breads for six days to uh, Isaiah has a vision of the seraphim with six wings. And if you go into the book of Revelation, why do they have six wings? They are all revealing whether you are looking upon the angel or you are getting into the theology of these angels, for example, the seven angels, each one is responsible for one of the churches. And who attends these churches? Angels? No. Men. Sixes. So when they see these angels with six wings, that is the actual coding that is being transcribed out to the people is that those six wings mean that God has appointed that angel over man for that church. Powerful number, the number six, because six, boiling it down to the basic coding that is revealed through the number six is man. Seven, you boil it down and you're going to have the basic coding that surrounds God. The Greek definition of sin is what? Who would like to quote that? Falling of the mark of God. The mark of God is seven. The mark. The mark of man is six. The fact that God assigned six for mankind says you're a man and you have fallen short and you're not coming to heaven. Unless there's a moment in your life when you receive the seven. You receive the number one to bring you to seven. And that one is Christ. And that's what brings you and I to the seven. And God clearly spelled this out about the seventh day God rests. And on the seventh day we're supposed to rest. The seven churches. The seven years it took Solomon to build the temple. And then the um, book of Revelations. And I'm going to show you this list in a minute. The sevens that come with the book of Revelation is rather significant. God blesses the seventh day and makes it holy. 77 times in regard to the ark and it goes on and on and on of all the numbers and coding that God uses with the seven. But here's the significant list I'm going to point out. Which, the seven spirits of God, the seven seals of the book, the seven golden uh, candlesticks, the seven stars, the seven angels of, uh, of the seven churches, the seven letters to the seven churches, the seven eyes and the seven horns of the Lamb. And I'm going to show you some of that today. The seven mountains, the seven thunders, the seven kings, the seven angels of the seven trumpets, the seven angels with these seven vials, and the seven heads and the seven crowns of the dragon. You think God is trying to say something about the seven? What about forgiving 70 times seven? And forgiving 70 times seven. But see, we hear these numbers and we read these numbers and we use these numbers on our calculator 
and we don't realize the coding that is built into the numeric. In any language, really. But I think when you write a seven, I don't think you necessarily think of God. I was uh, publishing the pre-final edit version of the book of Revelation because there's a bunch of people that wanted it for Christmas. And when I was publishing it, they came back with a comment and they said, your graphic uh, needs to be 192 point something uh, times 666. And I laughed because here I'm finishing a book on numeric coding in the book of Revelation. And here the very dimensions they want of my book cover is... 666. I went, perfect. Numbers mean a lot to me, even though I am not a numbers person. But once you figure out that there's numbers assigned to every Hebrew letter, and whatever name it is that you're translating out of that person's name in Hebrew, when you add up the numbers, you will find something very fascinating. Seven is rather important. Okay, ten is another one of those numbers. So a tenth, of course, of what it is that we earn is supposed to go to God, right? But see, the thing that we don't realize is that, well, if he's got a tenth, what's the other percentage? Ninety. I could do a month of sermons on, on the number ninety. You see, ninety has become that arena of prosperity that mankind has taken advantage of. Oh, I give my tithes and offering, I got my ten percent thing going, and I give that and whatever. There are mafia people that kill people every day who pay their dues to the church. And they think they're getting in heaven because they pay their tithes? No, they're not. A true tithe is a sacrificial gift that requires payment. And that's why just the number 90 reveals selfishness and condemnation. But God set the system up uh, 10 over 90 because... He wants to see, he needs his 10% to keep the ministry going. Jesus himself had a purse carrier. What was his name? Judas. Judas. How'd he turn out with money? Not so good. In fact, Jesus said, for you are of the devil. That doesn't mean he was evil toward thought. It means he was possessed by a demon. Probably Satan himself. So, God understanding these numbers, and you look at 12 disciples and one who goes sour. And what was the percentage of these guys, by the way, including Judas, we have to keep him in the percentage, who didn't show up at the foot of the cross with Jesus? 90%. Did 
God know that in advance? Of course he did. Was he bothered by it? No. Because it had to hit the mark exactly. Twelve is another one of those numbers. You know, the twelve tribes. We have the twelve disciples. We have the twelve days before Christmas. (laughs) We got, you know... All these twelves that God reveals through the prophets and the judges and and from days to years to wonderful things that God is revealing to us about the twelve. But boiling twelve down to the final analysis, what we have is God's ordained leadership for eternity. That's what we have. And these leaders are gateways. So when God put the disciples' names above the doors, it actually translates out as Matthew is the door. You see, Mark is the door. And these doors around the New Jerusalem are the entryway for people to come into the New Jerusalem, become saved. And we blow this off like leaders are not that big a deal in our lives. You'll see how big of a deal those leaders are when you get on the other side. God knows and he's making a point about this. In Revelation we have this this special list of twelve. Twelve pearly gates, twelve angels, twelve tribes of Israel, twelve foundations... Twelve apostles. The city is 12,000 stata long, which is 1,500 square mile block. 1,500 miles up. I did an analysis on that uh, before I turned my book in just to make sure all the numbers were correct. If you take 15 miles and go straight up into space... Now when you come back down to earth and you mark it out on a, on a map, you're covering Rome and, you know, old uh, Turkey, you know, a little bit of the tip of Africa, you know, all the Middle East, of course. That's what you're covering. So when you look even at our earth as a whole, that 1,500 square block is not that big of a deal until you look up at it. It's a massive block. And here these gentlemen have their names written as doorways, entry points. So what is one of the number one things that Satan does? One is to have you forget your numeric coding. Two is to have you annoy, put off, or disrespect your leaders. Because if you can get those two done, you're damned. You're going to hell. Because most people who say they've received Jesus Christ and they don't have a clue how to respect Him, they don't have a clue how to listen to Him, they don't have a clue. That's why God gave us these disciples, these 12 disciples. is so that we can hear by our own ears what Jesus was saying. And if there's resistance on that level, they weren't going any further. Today, you just bypass your boss and get the job done anyway. And that doesn't work with spiritual things. 
That is why a lot of the deceptions hit the church through the Roman Catholic state church. Because what I just said to you is what they were teaching in, to the masses. Is God has such an honor on men, you need a father, a priest to intercede for you. That is not what Jesus was saying. But that's how they interpreted it. And a whole system was put together on that, which I'm going to show you very briefly. The number 40, obviously, is pretty huge. Remember the 40-day fast of Jesus? The 40 is considered a generation. So if you live to be 80, you've lived two generations. So when we think of 42, which I'm going to show you some of the significance of 42, it is hitting that generation and then some. It's like the two prophets laying in the street dead for how many days? Huh? Four days. Three days is is the days in which you're supposed to do your grieving and prepare the body and make sure that body is buried before the fourth day. Okay? God left those bodies of those two prophets in the street for four days. Then he resurrected them. And the reason why that was a big deal to people in the Middle East is because they believed that someone could be raised from the dead because they were only sleeping during the, the first three days. So when Jesus said that Lazarus was only sleeping... He was correct. And the people of that culture understood exactly what Jesus was saying. But was the body actually dead? Of course the body was dead. These are little things that when we get on the other side, we're going to go, you've got to be kidding me. That's how it worked. That's why we did that tradition. That's why we buried people on the, on the third day. That's why we see a lot of these things that we do, we just, we're just used to doing them. It's like Christmas. We just take a day out of the year, make a bunch of money off of this little cute little baby in a manger, which the world hates, but you know we're going to make a bunch of money off of them. Oh, and we'll put this big fat guy in there, and we'll make him real popular to get the attention off the Christ child. That's what we do with this significant moment and number called one. He is the one. They weren't using English. They were saying he is numeric one. He's the alpha and omega. One. 77, we know that's a, an important number. I heard this, there's this guy writing a textbook on 77 truths for, that's going to be a good one, I think. So why is knowing your lineage so important? Well, most people would answer that by, well, I really, really don't think that it is. You know, I didn't like my dad for many years. But when I translated his name out in Hebrew, I started to like him again. 
You think that your name just came to you accidentally and they even if they drew it out of a out of a box because they couldn't pick the right name for you? Your parents had no clue what numbers were about. They had no clue what Hebrew was about. They had no, in fact, they could have been Christ haters. Do you realize that your name is still significant in eternity? You could have a corny name like Sunshine. And that name could be significant in eternity. Oh, but my parents were just hippies and they... You know, they were loaded on pot one night, and that's the name they came up with. I mean, for Pete's sake, my, my dad's name is, is, is Windblower. You can talk to Native Indians, and they will tell you why they would name their children, you know, Wounded Feather or, or you know, Flying Turtle Dove or, you know, whatever, because they understand the deeper level of spirituality and the name that you bear. 77, it's very important. You start with God to, Abraham, to Adam and you move it all the way through and where do you finally end up on 77? Jesus. Was this an accident? Do you know how many ruthless killers are in this list? Do you know how many leaders that weren't worth following are on that list? Do you realize that Jesus himself came from David and Bathsheba? Jane, what was the story of David and Bathsheba? What were you saying to me this morning? To make it all legal. Jesus did not come from David and Abigail. Jesus came from murder and adultery. Accidental? Probably not. Was God approving of the sin? Are you kidding? David paid dearly for that one. But it is God being a sovereign God is in charge of all of the names, the numeric coding that comes with each name adds up to 77. The very day he was born, the hour he was born, all those numbers are significant. He was not short one second on God's timeline. From this lineage, as we read in our passage this morning, it was laid out, as Jane read, in three sections. There's our number three again. And each one of those lists that were read to us added up to 14. Not 15, 14. If you look at the sovereignty of everyone in that list and you do a background study of everyone in that list, you go, do you realize that just one of those guys dying at birth would throw off this numeric coding? Just one of them. Just one on the list could have died before they gave forth the seed, it would throw the whole thing off. So God literally keeping some of these barbaric leaders alive, and a lot of them very righteous leaders alive, keeping them alive, getting them a spouse, having that seed, and having that next child, and so forth and so on, 
was purely managed by the hand of God. So that God could get his 42. So that God could get his three lists of three generations that led up to the great 77, the perfect number of Jesus Christ, the Alpha being the one and the final being 77. Here it is in diagram form. We have Adam to Enoch to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon. And over here you have where John comes from and then you have Jesus. As you notice, his lineage stops. That literally, by God's numeric tracking, can be traced all the way back to Adam. But there are people walking the face of the earth that can actually say, I am the seed descendant of Abraham. Are there others? Yes. Because the descendants of Abraham are like the stars. That cannot be counted. That cannot be numerically coded. But this lineage seems to have special significance to God. And there's a reason for that. The numbers 14 times 3 is 42, of course. We have 42 is a number with a direct connection to the coming Antichrist. His evil efforts will last seven years, but the second half of those seven years, three and a half years, is 42 months. He will not have one single day, not one single hour of opportunity to torture you beyond that 42 months. You see, because his first three and a half years is what? Peace. You can violate all day long and they're not going to throw your little uh, behind in prison. It will be three and a half years of complete peace. And that's what is used to deceive the people to think this truly is our Christ. Christ. Not Jesus. This truly is our Christ. The Christ child. This truly is our Messiah. Returning again. Then the angel gave me a measurement, a rod and a staff. Kind of talked about this earlier a little bit. But arise, measure the temple of God and the altar. And they shall trample upon the holy city for 42 months. Revelation 13 states that in the end times the beast power will be so powerful that no one will be able to come against him. Not anyone will be able to come against him. He'll have so much power, except for the true Christ. And he does. Here's our timeline. Starts off from Nimrod and it ends over here with the Antichrist. The systems, if you study them, Revelation gives us a pretty good picture of the system of Babylon's being reintroduced. Nimrod was the guy, remember, built the, the Tower of Babel and the system he was putting in place. And once a year they were to come and worship the seed of the wife of Nimrod, which is where Christmas comes from. Christmas as a whole is a Babylonian practice. And that's where it started. Once a year, all the people had to come together around this tower and they had to worship 
the seed, the son of Nimrod's wife, which he made a statue of her in the plaza or the square of Babylon. She was called the great whore. And if that doesn't sound a little familiar to you, you should be reading the book of Revelation. That's where it started. There are 14 empires that had, the book of Revelation tells us, and so do, obviously, uh, the Old Testament. There are 14 empires that have to occur. They have to rise, they have to fall. They have to rise, they have to fall. They have to rise, they have to fall. 14 times before the Antichrist can take his seat. 14 has already come and passed. And that was Hitler. I could probably scare most of us to death if I told you what I have found on Hitler in regard to numeric coding. His first speech that he gave before he became this world chancellor guy, he was about as impotent as a fourth grader trying to preach a sermon who didn't know Christ. Between this, his first lecture and his second lecture, he had an encounter. As some would say, he became possessed. I watched, as Jane and Jess wouldn't be into that kind of thing, I watched that entire video of his second lecture. And it's a very famous video where he's pounding on the, the podium, he is shouting out, and he says, I will give you 1,000 years of perfect government. I listened to the speech carefully and I jotted things down because of obvious reasons. And just in the one speech, it would definitely confess the man was possessed by Satan himself. Every single one of these leaders were possessed by Satan himself. For sure, a legion demon. Horrible things but all very necessary. Here's the first two empires. One, the Babylonian Empire, and we've talked about that before, and all the paganism that came from that. Number two is the Persian Empire. Remember uh, Daniel's vision with the, with the bronze and the silver and the, all the way down to the feet of lead and blah, blah, blah? That is what is being given to us, is these empires. So the 14 generations and the 14 empires is not accident. This Christ child was saying, I have fulfilled the 42. Get ready for the 14. And the New Testament in these empires is rather extensive. When you look at the list. Three and four is you have Alexander the Great. I can't tell you the devastation that took place through Alexander the Great. He developed this university that trained most of the leaders that are uh, started the Catholic Church. 
who ended up doing a 250-year genocide on true indwell believers. Who introduced to the seven churches that you need a priest? You can't have a relationship with Jesus. I have the relationship with Jesus. That all came out of this man. Sound a bit satanic a bit? That is why Jesus came, to rip the veil so we can have a direct, intimate relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Roman Empire. Do I need to speak much about that for Pete's sake? Rome is coming back, by the way. There's one of those seven hills. Seven? Seven? Why weren't there six hills in Rome? And who's on the seventh? The Vatican. Accident? There's no accidents going on here. It's coming back. Fifth and sixth. The Vandals. I thought, man, I thought those were guys that did graffiti on the side of your house. Well, they did. And if you haven't noticed, I'm kind of circling the, the Roman church deciding who's going to be the emperor of these, these world governments. After the New Testament and that Roman state church was quickly formed, they started taking dominant control of world governments from that day forward. And it's all over history. Their control on who's going to get rid of them, and who's going to appoint them. If you remember the whole thing about putting a cardinal at the right hand of every king in the world, I mean, England is very public about that. They'd have the cardinal, and they couldn't make any decision unless the cardinal gave spiritual blessing to that decision. Who you're going to go to war with, whatever. Who do you think that cardinal was talking to? Who, who is really running the world governments. Right. So when a guy comes along called Martin Luther, and he goes, you guys are messed up. And he's saying in, in very intellectual form, he literally stayed with the scriptures, and he's saying, you guys are messed up. You're messing up the body of Christ. You can't say that these people who are outside the church are not indwelt by Christ. When you don't even preach that you're indwelt by Christ. They believe in following Christ. Huge difference. Seven and eight. These guys, you know, I, I tried to dig up stuff on them in history and I'm like, yeah, there's quite a bit out there, you know, overall. But I would never have picked out some of these guys as being some of the most ruthless leaders of our history. Because a lot of what it was that was said got washed out in history. Do you know there are schools in California that you can go and send your children to and they will actually teach you from their books that the great holocaust never happened. It's called historical revisionism. And they do it after every one of these brutal leaders. They're so ruthless. They are so murderous. They are so controlling. They're such haters of God 
that the people who do hate Jesus have to do historical revisionism. So therefore us historians have to really dig after a couple hundred years to find solid information that they were ruthless. Same thing's happening to Hitler. He was noted as being the greatest leader that has ever lived in human history. Would you say that about him? Yes, I would. The way he organized people, the way he organized troops, the way he took over countries, the way he whatever. Do you realize that America and countries like America ignored this man while he was consuming a third of the earth? And then we realize one day, oh my God, he's going to come for America. Duh. And that's when we jumped in. After, after the Holocaust. Jews screaming out in America saying, save our relatives. And America ignored the call. Oh, we can't be that ruthless. He can't be that evil. And then when they start doing their history, modern continuous history on the guy, and realize this guy is taking over the world, and he has people holding full-on commitment to him at all cost. They'll do anything for him. Demonic? It's beyond demonic. His last empire was actually a confession of what it's going to be like the last three and a half years of that seven-year reign. Nine and ten, Charles the Great. Boy, is there an interesting stories behind that guy. The Otto the Great. All these guys are trying to set a certain style and fashion of government that happens to hate Christians. All of these do. Charles V. Keep in mind, I'm not bringing out a lot of the history in this. Um, if you're listening to the message, you know, go back to the homepage and you'll see a PDF. Click on that and get these slides. But each of these leaders are being disclosed from the vision that Daniel had. The horns. Seventh. Also in the book of Revelation, we find these heads of this beast. A lot of people think that these leaders are yet to come. But it's been going on for some time already. Again, noting who has been in charge of these empires. And then 13 and 14, all from the lineage of Nimrod's dominion. We have Otto von Bismarck, and uh, he's the ninth horn. And then we have the 14, which is the tenth horn, supposedly the most influential and powerful and wicked out of all of them. And that, of course, is Hitler. For anyone to sit back and say that Hitler got away with this whole thing because he was clever and you don't understand his history with the Roman Catholic Church and what happened to him as a baby and what they, what they commissioned him to do. If you don't understand a lot of the real history that has been hidden and washed away by this man, there's no way that you can truly comprehend how this man was able to take a third of the entire world within a few short years.
And there was one simple principle that brought him down. One piece of truth that brought him down. And you would think it'd be something huge like some powerful army like Russia coming in. Which is why they say he went down. is because of Russia coming in on him. But that was not what brought Hitler down. It was a woman. And it was a medical doctor. And that medical doctor jacked him up on very dangerous drugs. He became addicted to all forms of drugs. At the time of his death, the, the video shows 23 different life-altering and mind-altering drugs laying there on the floor by his body. All of them medicines his doctor prescribed to him. So, here's a man who's truly a man, but at the same time, these ideas roll out of him like no man has ever seen or heard. You begin to understand how volatile even the kingdom and the housing of Satan's kingdom is. It's very volatile. And they all involve drug, sex, and rock and roll for some reason. Hitler was an art freak. He was very creative. And as you know, he tried to steal all the Dutch artwork that was available because a lot of the artists that came out of that culture. And uh, interesting enough, he was fascinated with Jewish art. And as history proves today, uh, Hitler was Jewish. So that hatred of that Jewish blood that he had uh, is the same thing that the Muslims have. Do you understand that connection? I mean, the Muslims have Jewish blood, but they hate the Jews. That was Hitler. All not by accident. What are the common denominators that we find if you do the true reading of, of the handouts that I gave you? Number one, the Roman state church dominates most of the empires. Two, the empires usually include Rome, Italy, and Germany. That is very significant. Three, the pope would decide who was to be overthrown or who was going to succeed in these empires. Literally, the Roman church shut down these empires at command. And they were not. There was only one leader out of all of those leaders from the New Testament forward that they couldn't shut down, and that was Hitler. He could not be managed by uh, the Pope. And they worked very hard to get that man shut down. And there were some very unique ways they, they uh, worked at doing that. And then five, all the empires hated Jews and zealous Christians and six, the Roman state church dominates most of these empires. So thus, the Roman state church's claim on Christ mass. I'm going to ask an honest question. Deserves an honest answer. How many of you have given second thought to Christ mass? I mean, when you've seen the word, written the word, Merry Christmas, that you've taken the time, had a second thought to, why is this Christ Mass? This, this whole Christmas movement, this whole thing of St. Nick, it didn't start with the Dutch Catholic giver 
of gifts. It started with Nicholas, Deacon Nicholas. And when Jesus said, I hate the teachings of, of, of Deacon Nicholas, that's something I wanted to research. I wanted to know what this Deacon Nicholas was, was, was teaching these seven churches. I want to know where he got educated. And that's how I found what I shared with you today and the 500-page book that's coming out here in the next few days. It's based on the teachings of Deacon Nicholas. And I realize that they're going to have to have these layers of priests before you get to the infallible Pope who controls world governments. Because he is Santa Claus. Do you understand that? I've heard it with my own ears by someone in the Vatican. The Pope is Saint Nick. He represents the giver and the taker of all things. He gives governments, he takes them away. He gives churches, he takes them away. He, he is that person. So all these historical pictures of them dressing up like this Santa Claus, it's not Santa Claus. Santa Claus' image is what evolved from the look of these popes. Do you understand that? The cute little Santas you're going to see on the yard when you drive away today came from this image. We're not trying to make these two work together. The cute Santas came from this. Because the Roman State Church, from Deacon Nicholas all the way to today, their technique is to adopt a pagan holiday and somehow connect it to, not Jesus, Christ. They're the only church that uses the term Christ and doesn't speak of Jesus that much. But they will. So to have our new Pope, Francis, in November proclaim one world of religion is not accidental at all. Nor was it accidental in the year in which he announced it. But what God is into is his empire. He tells us in Romans 5 and Revelation 7 and Revelation 20. For if by the transgressions of one death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one. Jesus Christ. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. All this other stuff is Satan's attempt to destroy what he knows is coming. And as volatile as Hitler was to drugs and women, and his own hatred to his own blood seed, that's how volatile Satan's going to be in the end with this. It's very insecure. He's even more insecure than humans. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first 
resurrection over these. The second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Think about this, guys. This is a short walk in the park. I know it's the Pergamon Park, but it's a very, very short walk. The verse I just read you, if that is more significant in the final hour than probably any other verse, for you is the bride of Christ, for you as priests, what would be the one doctrine you would want to throw into this whole religious past, present, and future history of the church? You need a priest. You can't do this on your own. That's exactly what Deacon Nicholas taught. Because this is the truth. We are the priests. We are the gateways that people are to come to to get to know Jesus Christ. We're disciples of Christ. Now, if this is a fascinating topic for you, there's enough in those slides that will keep you busy for a little while. I do want to put a little plug in for the book. It is completely done and polished up in a beautiful form. All the diagrams, the whole book is done very nicely. It's available online right now. Uh, Just website, click on the author's spotlight page, and it'll take you to where the books are. So there is an enormous amount of historical content in that book that will give you further clarity to today's message too, as well as a lot of others. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.